Amen. Thank you for joining us for worship today. I would remind you, we do have a devotional guide for you that's based on the message each week, provided there in the bulletin. We encourage you to use that individually as you seek to grow in your faith, especially during this new series we've started. And also you can use it in small groups uh, for your own edification as a group, and it's a good curriculum to follow. Uh, Let's be an attitude of prayer together. Eternal God, we do come to you today with questions of why, filled with questions, Lord. And you've given to me the amazing privilege and responsibility of seeking to speak to those questions, to proclaim your word and to preach your word. And Lord, I need your strength in order to do it. So Lord, this morning, speak to me and through me in such a way that all of us do receive a word from you that will make a difference to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So clearly today I begin a new message series entitled, Why? Now the seed of this series was a question I posted on Facebook some time ago that simply asked, what answer would you like a sermon, or what what answer would you like a sermon to answer, or what question would you like a sermon to answer? And of course, I got over a hundred responses in just one day. Questions were all over the place. But as I began to look at all the questions, the same questions began to emerge from different people. And so I decided I'll just put a sermon series together because I imagine that many of you have the exact same questions. Now today we kick it off with the granddaddy of them all. Amen? One of the biggest roadblocks to people's faith we have ever seen. The most common struggle of faith. And that is, why did God allow that suffering to happen? Or... Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow suffering? Now, in the world of theology, we call that the theodicy question. And it goes something like this. If God cannot stop suffering, then he is not great. If he can and doesn't, then he is not good. So why in the world would a great and good God allow suffering? It's a great question. A very good question. Ever wondered why? I've discovered in my life and in my faith and in my ministry, this has become one of the biggest roadblocks to people's faith. More people have chosen atheism or agnosticism because of this very question and not really getting an answer and really struggling with it. And it's very difficult. In fact, you may struggle with it. Maybe you're in worship today and you go through the motions in worship and maybe you still come to church or attend Sunday school, but quite honest, you're not really believing anymore. Because of this very question. You've gone through unspeakable pain and tragedy in your life. And you've often wondered, why would God allow this in my life? Or maybe you have a relative or a friend that wants nothing to do with religion. Wants nothing to do with faith. Wants nothing to do with a church. Because of this very question. And they don't want you to talk about religion around them. Or faith around them. Or maybe you still believe. And you still come to church, and you still get something out of it, but quite honestly, you still struggle with faith. You don't pray as much as you used to because of this very question. Well, if you feel that way, you're in very good company. Because the Bible is filled with characters who complain to God about this question. The Bible is filled with it. Psalms ask this question. Lamentations complains about this question. The prophet Habakkuk complains to God about this question. The prophet Jeremiah actually does as well. 
In fact, take a look at what Jeremiah says in the 12th chapter, verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Sound familiar? The Bible is replete with this question. And so what is the lesson? Well, the the lesson is God can handle our complaints and angers and doubts. God is big enough to handle those. In fact, I would say to you, I would submit to you, there is more faith in being angry at God than there is in being silent. And it's also my experience in life and faith that quite often going through seasons of doubt and anger and complaint to God leads to a deeper understanding of faith and God. But what's the answer to the question, right? Charlie, get on with it. Do you have an answer to this very question we pose today and we struggle with so much? Well, I believe I have a response to you and I believe what I'm going to share with you today is going to help you with it. And I'd like to begin by saying that when it comes to this question, or the big problem with this question, is the way some people answer this question. And more specifically, I will say to you, the problem with this question is the way some Christians have responded to this question. A very popular way for Christians to respond to this question, and see if you've ever heard this before, is everything happens for a reason. Anybody ever heard that before? I'm not going to ask how many of you ever said that before. Everything happens for a reason. And usually this platitude is said in the midst of difficulty or pain or trials. And some well-meaning friend comes up to us and in an effort to comfort us says, Well, everything happens for a reason, you know. Now it comes in different forms. It must be God's will. God has a higher purpose or plan. God would never give you more than you can handle. And all these religious phrases basically mean the same thing. Which means your your suffering, your pain, your trials, your tribulations are scripted by God. When people say that, what they mean... Or what they're implying is, whatever suffering you are going through, whatever pain you're experiencing, it has been orchestrated by God. God wanted it to happen to you. God is the puppet master and holds all the strings, and it's playing out just as God intended. Now, quite honestly, I'll say it as an aside, this kind of theology has gained more popularity lately in the church. And it's called strict Calvinism. Because it's easy. There's always an answer. There is no gray area. There is no mystery. Some Christians and churches today actually believe that. that Everything that happens to you is scripted by God. Even pain and tragedy. I guess some people are comforted by that. I don't know. But I have this question. Do we really believe that everything happens for a reason? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God causes all the suffering and pain in our lives? Do we really believe that God scripted 9-11 to happen for some higher purpose? Do we really believe that God scripted the Holocaust for some higher purpose? 
Do we really believe that God causes hurricanes and earthquakes that wipe people out? Do we really believe that? And if we do believe that, what does it say about the God we believe in? I recall doing a funeral some time ago in another church that I served. And it was was after the service and I was having refreshments in the living room with some of the family. And there was this middle-aged lady, and she was just scowling at me the whole time. Now, I get that look a lot, but, you know, you could tell that I wasn't her favorite person. Well, some of the family left the room, and she got bold. Grief has a way of doing that to you. And she said, you know, I don't like ministers. I said, me either. Well, I don't like some ministers. And I was curious, and I I said, uh, tell me, why don't you like ministers? And she proceeded to say this. When I was in my 20s, my mother died of cancer. And I really struggled with it. Hard. I was very close to my mom. And I had a well-meaning Christian friend, I was very close to, who came over to my house and said to me, you know... Everything happens for a reason. Then she gave me some cheesy book on Christianity. And she said, and I vowed that day I would never have anything to do with religion or God or the church. Now I did my best to explain to her how misguided and insensitive her friend's comments were. But the damage had been done. Was her friend trying to be comforting? Yes, Did her friend have good intentions? Oh, yes. But what she heard from that friend was God scripted that pain in her life. God caused her mother to die of cancer, and she wanted nothing to do with a God like that. And honestly, I can't blame her. When I was in seminary, one of my best friends in college here at Florida Southern was killed by a drunk driver. He was in Austin, Texas, and he and his girlfriend, they were riding bikes in Austin and headed to the hill country, and in his pocket was an engagement ring. He was on his way to propose to his girlfriend, but he never made it. They never made it. A drunk driver hit them both on the side of the road, killing Andrew instantly, and his girlfriend was in a coma for two months And I went to Andrew's funeral, and I'll never forget being at that viewing. And it being surreal for me to to see one of my best friends in a casket. They buried him in his Eagle Scout uniform, and it was so strange to me. It was so difficult for me. And as I'm looking at my friend Andrew in this open casket, someone, maybe a friend, a family member, I don't know who it was, came up next to me and said... It's hard to understand God's will sometimes. And I'll confess to you, I got angry. And I looked at him and I said, God didn't do this, a drunk driver did. God often gets blamed for things that God simply did not do. And the language is is very common. Many of us have heard it before. A baby dies and someone says, well, God needed another angel in heaven. Teenagers are 
are killed in a car accident on their way to prom and somebody says, well, everything happens for a reason. A mother is diagnosed with with cancer and someone says, well, God must have a higher purpose or plan. Now, it doesn't help, of course, that we have these crazy Christian personalities get on the radio and in television and in podcasts. They always pick the crazy ones, you know, who say the darndest things. Some of you may remember after 9-11, a particular Christian personality got on the television and said God had plotted 9-11 to punish America for its sins. And then we wonder why some people want nothing to do with Christianity or the church. And then we wonder why some people want nothing to do with the faith. And then we wonder why some people aren't here in worship. And then we wonder, it's beyond me, how, how some people who read the same Bible I do and who follow the same Lord that I do could believe that God would plot tragedy and suffering and pain. It's beyond me how... People who follow the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who put children on His knee and said the things that He did, would believe that same Lord would script pain and tragedy in life. Bottom line, folks, everything does not happen for a reason. At least not in the way people usually mean that. Sometimes bad things happen because people do foolish things. Sometimes bad things happen because we do foolish things. Amen? And sometimes bad things happen because we live in a sinful, broken world. But let us not blame God for all the suffering and pain and tragedy. Okay, Charlie, I get it. I think. I understand. But do you have an answer to this question? Do you have a response? Any response at all? I do. I do have a response. Now, I will preface it by saying it probably won't be very satisfying because it's incomplete. But I will say this. My response, free will. Freedom. Our God loves us so much that he allows us to choose to love him, not to be forced to love him. Otherwise, we would be a bunch of robots just programmed to love God. And there's no such thing as forced love. You see, if God took away our freedom to do evil, he would also take away our freedom to do good. But there's a shadow side to freedom. There's a shadow side to to free will. And that is sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we pick the wrong things. Sometimes we make bad choices. Sometimes we do sin, and that often leads to pain and tragedy and suffering. And on a bigger scale, this natural world of ours has freedom as well. And the same world that can be in a period of healing can also create cancer. It is a sinful and it is a broken world that we live in. But I know. That's an incomplete answer. I know that. Because I know there are some of you in worship here this morning who are sitting there in the pew and you are in pain. You are suffering. You don't know how you're going to get through the day. And maybe you're crying out 
How do I cope with this? If God is so loving and God is so powerful and God is so amazing, how do I cope? Where is God when I hurt? I'm in pain. How do I deal with this? Well, this morning I want to offer some things that have helped me as I've struggled with this question. And I have struggled with it too. And I believe it will be helpful to you as well. I hope it is. And the first is this. I want to lift up a passage of Scripture that I believe is very healing. It tells us exactly where God is when we hurt. It comes from the prophet Isaiah, who was prophesying about Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear these words today, because I believe for some of us it will bring healing. Take a look. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Did you see that? Did you feel that? He carried our sorrows. He carries our sorrows. Listen to me closely. Wherever you are, whatever pain you're in, whatever suffering you're experiencing, I want you to hear this. Our Lord carries your sorrows. He shares it with you. He cries with you. He aches with you. He loves you too much for you to experience that pain on your own. You see, one of the things we see from the cross, and there's a variety of ways to look at the cross in many profound ways. There's the atonement. We see our redemption in the cross. We see God in Christ suffering for us. But I want you to see and know today, especially maybe in the midst of your pain, that there is a different way. There is another way to look at the cross. And that is God and Jesus Christ is suffering with us. Is in the muck of it with us. Bleeds with us. Feels pain with us. Hurts with us. And can redeem our suffering. There's another bit of help I want to offer you today. And it comes from the words of the great preacher Harry Emerson Fosdick. He says this, listen to this. He says, goodness is a far greater problem for the atheist than evil is for the believer. Isn't that good? Instead of focusing on all the evil and the terrible things in the world, focus on the goodness in the world. And all the good that is happening. And allow that goodness to lead you back and to lead us back to the goodness of God. Yes, it's good for a time to focus on the pain and to question it. But sometimes we have to get out of it and focus on the good that is in the world. And allow that goodness to lead us back to the goodness of God. And allow the goodness of God to allow us to open our eyes to help suffering in the world. Because I tell you this. As sure as I stand here this morning, God wants to heal the suffering in the world and He wants to do it through us. And if you open your eyes, you'll see all the people that God is using to alleviate suffering. His name is Dr. Zanko. He's a surgeon in Birmingham, Alabama. Surgeon at a Trinity Medical Center. And some 
time ago, a few years ago, he was performing surgery at a neighboring hospital. And when he finished, he got a call from Trinity saying, you need to get back here. We got someone who's dying and needs to be performed emergency surgery right now. Well, it was a blizzard. So he got in his car and he headed back towards Trinity, but he couldn't get through the blizzard. I mean, there were roadblocks and all kinds of things that slowed him down, all kinds of traffic. And so Trinity called him again and said, where are you? And he said, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm going to walk. And he got out of his car and walked five hours in a blizzard to Trinity Hospital. Five hours. He got to the hospital. The the patient had been prepped for surgery. He spoke with the family briefly and off to the OR he went. And he saved that person's life. And a reporter heard about it. And when they, they asked him why or how, you know what he said? I love this. He said, I was just doing my job. What if we as Christians simply did our job? A lot of the suffering in this world would be alleviated. Because I know many of us often ask God, God, why aren't you doing anything about this suffering? And I believe sometimes God responds, I was going to ask you the same thing. I'm trying to help this suffering and heal this suffering through you. You're my hands and feet in this world. But I believe the best help I can give us this morning, and this is something that's very close to my heart, is by offering another question. What happens to good people when bad things happen to them? That is a question the Bible clearly answers. In Romans 8, one of my all-time favorite chapters of the Bible, Paul proclaims boldly nothing. I'm convinced that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. But then in verse 28... The Apostle Paul says something amazing, says something intriguing. He says, all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And then he says it differently. And these are my three favorite words in Scripture. Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. And what does that mean? Paul is saying, We just don't get get through suffering in life. God doesn't just sustain us through suffering in life. But by the power of God Almighty, He turns our trouble into triumph. Over and over again in life we see this. When evil attacks with pain, God uses it to build character. When evil attacks with resistance, God uses it to build strength. When evil attacks with with tragedy, God finds a way to victory. When evil attacks with death, God turns it into life. God is in the transformation business. I have learned this in my own life. The worst thing is never the last thing. And one of the greatest examples of this is the cross of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus came and did His work, the cross was a symbol of pain and suffering and abuse and torture. It would be like we put a picture of the electric chair on a wall. But then Jesus came. 
and transformed it into a symbol of life and forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Turning something ugly and making it beautiful. So here's today's message. In a nutshell, maybe you'll be at the Waffle House later and you'll tell them what I preached on today and they'll say, well, what was, what was the message? Here it is. Everything that happens to you is not God's will, but God has a will. And everything that happens to you, and that will is to turn your trouble into triumph. And I would hear sometime later that he actually became a Christian and joined the church. And whenever I miss that Bible, which is a lot, I think of how God took something very ugly and made it beautiful. And God can do the same for you, and God will. God can turn your trouble into triumph. And this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Eternal God, we give to you our pain. knowing full well that you identify with us in our pain. And when when we look at the cross, Lord, and see you suffering, we know we are not alone. But Lord, remind us of the resurrection. And that you have the power, you demonstrated the power of turning death into life of turning trouble into triumph, of taking something very ugly and making it beautiful. And Lord, I pray that for me and for all of us in worship today, your redemptive power would come and do the same for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We hope it's been a time of of healing, of encouragement, of comfort for you. Receive this benediction. And I may that mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, abide with you this day and throughout this week. May the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon you. And the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ go with you and sustain you, both now and forevermore. Amen.